Welcome to Real Beauty with FD, as place where we discuss what beauty means to us, whether it's a product that sells out every second around the world or it's a cult classic, to discussing body positivity to building incredible brands. We're here to find your little black dress in skincare, makeup, and more importantly, promoting happiness within your own skin and owning it. Each episode, I'm bringing in a new personality to discuss all things beauty and touch on their inspiring stories. This week, I am excited to be speaking with Dr. Christy Overstreet, who is a clinical sexologist. We will find out everything about what that means in this episode. She also has an amazing podcast called Fix Yourself First. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I know my palms are sweating just thinking about everything that we discussed. But hey, if we're not discussing it here, then what's the point, right? We need to be comfortable with these types of conversations. I hope you enjoy. Hey, oh my gosh, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. Are you kidding? I'm so excited. Let me ask real quick. Are we, um, where are we just going full into it? We are going to go full into it. Yes. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> I always like to ask because I'm like, okay, we're jumping right in and I love it. That's yeah. <laughs> um, where are you from? I'm from Georgia originally. Oh. It's where I grew up and all my family, they're all there. And um, I go between Northeast Florida and then Southern California and then up to Georgia. So there's a little loop. Oh, wow. So I, I presume like pre-COVID, you were obviously traveling a lot more. Even with COVID, I have done a ton of travel. It, it's really scary. I've been internationally a couple of times. And oh, wow. All, yeah. So I get around in the best way possible. <laughs> I love it. Is that with work or personal? Both. Both. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I guess... Um, before we keep going, um, let me do a quick introduction. So, um, Christy, thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to me. Um, so from your perspective, you're a clinical sexologist, which I've never seen that word before. So that's <laughs> badass. <laughs> which is a certified sex therapist, helping you get emotional and physical intimacy. So firstly, how did you get into this? If you would have told me that I would have been a sex therapist, when I, grew up, <laughs> I would have just been like, no, you've lost your mind. Like, first of all, it's not a real thing. I would not have ever thought it was a real thing and that you actually can go to school get a degree in and actually have this intense study in sexology. So it's pretty wild. Um, I even sometimes just pinch myself. I can't believe I'm here. So uh, yeah, it's really neat. It's really interesting. It's never the same hour twice, I but I think what's the neatest part of it is to see how people, when they're empowered, when they feel comfortable about themselves and as they grow, their world opens up and gets a lot bigger. And so to get to walk alongside individuals and couples going through that, it's just a really neat experience. I'm really grateful of, of the work I get to do. Yeah, I bet. Oh my God. But even just in like, so let me just say, I'm a really nosy person anyway. And if I could go back and retrain for anything, I would love to be a therapist. Like I love helping people. I love listening to, you know, people's situations and again, mainly because I'm nosy. Right. So I don't know how much great advice I'd be able to give, but 
but it just, to your point, it must be that one step further where, you know, therapy is awesome, but I guess from the sex side of things, it's so key in a relationship. So I guess, do you predominantly work with couples most of the time, or is it individuals or a mixture? Yeah, it's a mixture because some people may come as a couple and say, Hey, we need to work on this. We're struggling in this area. He wants some more, she wants it less, or we have a problem with this, or we're trying to get pregnant, or we're having some conflict about how too much is not enough or whatever that he is. And then I have individuals that say, Hey, you know, I'm not in a relationship right now, but I'm not really comfortable with my sexual self. I've got some hangups about this, or I've got some things that's happened that I know was problems in my last relationship, or I have some self-esteem issues around my sexual self. And so it all just really depends on the individuals. And then I have a lot of individuals who are partner maybe isn't open to coming in and doing the work. And then I have some individuals in relationships that know like they've got the stuff they've got to work on before they even approach their partner about it. And I think that's what's so neat is when someone can say, you know, I want to take this accountability for myself to do what I need to do to stay healthy. And that's absolutely going to positively impact that relationship. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like for sure. I, so I actually just started um, therapy at the start of this year, Um, not sex therapy, but just um, therapy in general. And to your point, it was just to be more aware of myself, better myself, like I wasn't doing for anyone else, but just mainly for me. And, you know, now we're into May. I can't tell you how much of an impact it's made on my life. And I went into it thinking, oh, like, honestly, I don't know what this is going to do. Like, how much is this going to help me? But oh, my gosh, I feel so much more aware. Um, I'm aware of like how I'm feeling the minute I start getting to a point where I'm like, you know, I'm not comfortable or, you know, anything else. And it's like you are given tools to deal with it and deal with it in the correct manner. So I can imagine that this is probably that one step further into your point of just feeling empowered and more confident in yourself, like sexually, because I can imagine a lot of people probably don't like, uh, I don't know how much you watch Sex and the City, but I always wish I was more like Samantha Jones. (laughs) She's so like confident. Yeah, like everything's so like, you know, comfortable with her. And like, she would talk about stuff and I'm definitely a Charlotte for sure. I'm always like, Oh my God, I can't believe you just said sex. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, so also you have a podcast, um, called, um, fix yourself first. So how long have you been doing that podcast? And, um, what was the kind of driving force behind doing that? Was it more awareness or, um, picking on subjects that maybe people aren't more comfortable with? What was the um, purpose? Yeah, I started it back at the beginning. I was thinking, cause it just is crazy how time flies. I believe like back in the beginning of 2019, started it up and um, I've been doing it 2019, 2010, uh, 2020 and this year. And uh, the purpose was I wanted to have a place where people get their questions answered because as you can imagine, I see so many clients over 14 plus years you know, I thought if I can do this and have guests and then share my own tips and and things, people can have it on the go. So if you're having an issue with, uh, you know, with uh, trust and intimacy, I have a podcast or an episode on trust and intimacy. So it's a way to give resources out there to people that want to make these changes and having that ease of audio and on demand as the person needs it. I just thought it'd be a great, you know, thing to give 
and to share and hopefully educate more about mental health and relationships and sex. Yeah, I think it's great. I love your podcast. And to your point, I'm sure there's so many people out there that, you know, they either don't feel as comfortable seeking that help, but they're also, you know, feeling like they have, you know, answers that are questions that need answered. And I think, um, you know, sex is one of those subjects that you're either super open to depends on your relationships with your friends, also your childhood, how you were brought up, how your parents spoke about sex. I've, and now I've gone through therapy and I, um, I think when I messaged you, I don't know if I said, but I have a three-year-old. So I'm also conscious of like everything I do, how that impacts her, how I talk about my body, myself and, um, it's all full circle, right? And I'm sure you see that in your patients and when everything stems back to when they were younger. Absolutely. And that's one thing we talk about so often with women because, you know, women, especially those that are moms, like I want to give, you know, my child good information, the accurate information. I want to set them up because maybe I didn't get as much information. And I, I don't know about you growing up, but I know in, in my house, I grew up in Southeast Georgia, very conservative, rural Christian upbringing. And you did not talk about sex because sex didn't happen until you were married. Then it magically happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, so that's why I'm saying like, I would have never thought this is what I would be doing. It actually found me, which is a whole different topic. But with that being said, so many women want to say, you know, I want to give the accurate information. I want to make sure I'm given the information that my kid needs to have a healthy sexual self and have really healthy relationships. And I just did a episode last week on that, the age ranges of what to talk about with sex at yeah. what age. So there's definitely a lot of information about that. But, you know, we get these templates growing up. If we're introduced to the topic, who introduces us to the topic? Do we go through abuse? Do we go through inappropriateness? Um, are our friends talking about it as teenagers? Are we feeling forced, pressured, or just wanting to experiment and explore? All these things that we go through sets this template of how we you know, act as adults and how we see our sexual self. And a lot of stuff gets triggered from that past, but we're still saying it, acting it, behaving it as adults, as if we're still that little kid, that young girl, that teenager, <laughs> young adult, right? It's like, until we line it up and say, okay, what is this about? What was my view as a kid, teen and adult? And what messages do I need to reframe, change, and maybe make more accurate? So getting that in check, not that as a mom, you have to have it figured out all the way, absolutely not, but at least start to have this conversation with yourself and know the more you can talk about it with yourself, think about it or explore it, the more confident and competent you're going to feel with talking with your kids about sex and sexuality in general. Oh, it's, oh my God, it's so true. Like even, um, you know, when I was doing the research and thinking of like all the things I wanted to ask you, and I know I've sent you so many questions, so you can tell how excited I was about this session. Um, but even to that point of, you know, when I was younger, like same as you, like no one <laughs> spoke about sex, like in the household, I learned most of it from sex and say, no lie. I remember hearing, like they said blow job and I was like, what, what is this? And I asked my friends and I was like, Oh my gosh, I did not know that was the case. Um, so it's the same. And, you know, I, I always, you know, I want to, be more comfortable talking about it. Cause to your point, I think it, then you continue to feel that way as an adult. And I think that's why I'm so like shy when it comes to, you know, people talking about sex. I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> but it shouldn't be. It's such a natural thing. And I feel like we just don't talk about it enough. 
Yeah. And we're not supposed to, and I don't know how it was for you, but it probably sounds pretty similar that, you know, good girls, like you don't talk about that. You're not supposed yeah. to, you don't bring private stuff in public and keep everything, you know, in and save everything until you find the right partner and get married. So all this secrecy, the taboo-ness around it, and the, this is what's acceptable right here in this square and anything outside the square of those lines is unacceptable. It means you're bad. It means like you're loose. It means you're going to have a bad reputation. You're going to embarrass in the family, whether you're a kid, teen or adult. And all that pressure goes unconsciously and it becomes our inner critic. And that's one thing that I, I love helping women with is that inner critic. Every single one of us has that inner critic inside. It's either they're dialed up really loud, depending on circumstance or dialed down, which we want it to be dialed down more times than not. But that inner critic is feeding us those thoughts and beliefs about a situation we're facing or an event. And those thoughts and beliefs is what leads us to have the feelings of the shame, of the embarrassment, of the what we're supposed to or should do. So we have to really work on saying, what am I telling myself about the situation? Is this tape that it was growing up or is it different? And what can I do to make it a little bit different? It's really powerful when we change that. It is. Oh my gosh. It is so true. I'm um, like, just thinking back, like as you're talking, like I remember I used to get ready for like nights out with my girlfriends and you know, like I'm sure every dad, he, my dad would be like, um, are you going out the house wearing that? That dress is really short. And it's crazy because as an adult, I'm still conscious of like how short my stuff is. And, you know, it's, it's all like to the point, you know, going back to the beginning, it's like all those little comments you think are just, you know, you're just saying them, but it's the impact of the words to the individuals at a certain age that are more like impressionable and, you know, it really kind of takes to heart, but no, it's, um, it, it's so fascinating. Um, to me anyway, I'm sure your, your job is awesome. <laughs> um, so, um, so there are other things that I want to go on to, but, um, you know, when I reached out and I said about what this podcast was about, and I feel like since I started, it was very much on like products and, you know, yes. skincare, makeup, and the more conversations I've had with people, the more it's like, well, what does beauty mean to them? And it's everything you've mentioned about feeling self-confident and empowered in your sexuality and yourself. And I feel like that's kind of where it's gone from like what products are you using? But um, I want to ask you the question, like what does beauty mean to you? When I hear beauty, I think of, and it's funny because it's not a physical thing. It's the energy that we bring to the table or what I bring or what you bring or anyone it's, and what feeling it comes up for me when I'm around someone that I think is beautiful there. It doesn't mean they have to have a smile on their face and everything perfect and positive. It just means how are they reacting to the circumstance they're dealing with? How are they carrying themselves? For me, how am I radiating what I have in me out to the world? And I'm, I'm not a big like energy, like woo woo person at all. I really am. I'm really on the other side with that, but it's something about an energy of what we carry that um, that space we hold around us. And I, and I really feel that that's what beauty is. It so much transcends that physical of what we see to affect of really what we feel, because you can have someone who's physically absolutely gorgeous and they, they've got all their clothes together, right? And they've got the perfect haircut and makeup. And I'm just like, oh, you know, wow. 
but then their attitude or how they treat someone or what they say or that scowl on their face. I'm like, oh no, I'd rather have the none of that and someone that is just a good wholehearted person. And that to me is really how I see beauty. Yeah, I agree. Oh my God, I could not agree anymore. I'm exactly the same. Like you could be the hottest person. You could literally be Leonardo DiCaprio, who I consider to be the hottest person. But <laughs> it's the same. Like if the attitude's not there or I don't, because um, I'm the same, it's not like I'm crazy into energy, but I think you also get vibe from people. I could instantly be put off. And then it's like, I don't see them as attractive at all anymore. And it's so crazy because they could be like model potential and I'm like I just do not see it I need it to be to your point of like what's within them not just the external um which I think is key and I'm sure you probably see this when you're you know especially working with couples um so on that where do you see like the biggest issues when it comes to couples and sex is it more around communication yeah, it, it's so based in communication because you're not really having, and I'm going to say air quotes, good sex if you're not able to communicate about it. Because when we're in long, if we're in a couple, we're probably in a little bit of a longer term relationship. This isn't like early 20s, one not stand top stuff. That's yeah. not really a relationship. Yeah. But more in <laughs> a long term relationship, partnership, marriage, been together forever, however that it is. Um, the communication is what's going to be the foundation for good intimacy, which is connection and sex. So the communication, one of the problems that so many couples run into is they don't know how to really listen to one another and hold space for one another. And what I mean by that is like we're inundated with with people talking. You've got a child, you know, partners like all the time this info is coming in, right? You're receiving, receiving, receiving. And when you sit down with your partner to talk about maybe a problem that's come up or an issue or something that you're about to face, it's like, ah, I'm full. Yeah. your partner may start talking to you and, and then you just jump right in or you get defensive or you snap or you take something personal that wasn't meant to be personal. So when I'm talking about holding space, it's like this imaginary literal space in between two people that you can hear and listen to one another without reaction and taking it personal and making sure you're kind of saying back or mirroring back what you hear before you respond. Or when you get activated, triggered, when you get defensive, because we all do, and let's just say you say something sideways or something off the cuff, or you just being ugly, you say something back, how quickly you can jump in and say, you know what? I'm sorry. That came off so wrong. I've got, I've had a bad day, whatever happened, traffic, but I just took that out on you. I'm really sorry. That is the ultimate vulnerability. So, so many couples, if they can work on being vulnerable and trusting one another, that brings up that intimacy and connection. And when you can do that, that communication is going to be good. Therefore, you're going to be able to relax a little bit more and be more vulnerable when it comes to physical sex and intimacy. Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of couples listening to this thinking, oh, I maybe should have apologized quicker. Because <laughs> it's true, like, yes. especially when you're having a bad day or you have, you know, like kids or you're busy and you snap. And then I think a lot of it is stubbornness right? Uh The stubbornness to be like, I don't want to admit that I snapped. So I'm going to continue on. And then you you continue on the moodiness. Um, 
which is just not healthy, right? Like to your point, I'm sure even, uh, you know, my husband listens to all the pods. I'm sure he's probably like, yeah, the amount of times you <laughs> snap and then don't instantly say sorry, but it's so simple, but yeah, key. Yeah. Well, it will tell, tell people too, like, like they'll come in saying, oh, we've been, you know, arguing for weeks or we've been arguing for days or our last blow up lasted three days. And I'm sitting there going, but what, what is it leading you to do that? It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And that sounds so simple, really is. So one way a couple can kind of um, evaluate their health of communication intimacy, which is communication connection is can you shorten that time in between a blow up an argument or an apology? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I say, if you want to fight, fight about who's going to apologize first. I want y'all to kind of say, no, 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 I'm sorry. I did that. No, 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 I did that wrong. And then you can get some lightheartedness about it and some play and funness because that lightens the mood. And I'm sure with your husband too, like if things are lighter and a little bit more fun, it's more relaxed. And then you're not going to kind of push away when they come in for the hug or for the, like, you know, the butt yeah. rubbing in the knot. You're not like pushing as far because, you know, they lightened it or they said they're sorry or they're being vulnerable. So that communication intimacy has a big effect on our physical intimacy. Oh, for sure. Um, sometimes I wish I was a bit more stubborn because I um, I'm sure you can tell I love to talk. So I know if I'm in a mood, I'm like, oh, damn, I can't tell them X, Y, Z. So typically I'll come out of it to be like, OK, it's fine. But let me tell you about blah, 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 blah. But I know some friends and they can go like a week legit just not talking. I'm like, <laughs> how do you do that? Like living at home with one another. Um, like I find it really hard to be moved with people long-term. <laughs> I really do. I just well, don't that's have that's that a good gift you have. That means you're open. You like to talk. You like to put it out there and you shorten that time. That's, that's a good thing. And people that go long-term like that, it really, it can start becoming toxic because it's almost as if the person's trying to punish their partner. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm not, I'm waiting for you. And the whole premise was to fix yourself first. And all of the intimacy program work is I got to focus on me and what I need to do to be healthy. I'm not going to wait on my partner change because I'm thinking they're never going to change. When I change me and get me in a healthy place, it's going to have a ripple effect on my partner. And a lot of times we avoid doing that because we're fearful. Gosh, if I do this, I might actually realize that this isn't the right relationship. Or I might realize that maybe my love for them has changed. Or I may realize I've got more deeper work to do where I need to take a look in the mirror a little bit more often. And that can be really scary. So when people say, I don't know why we're not getting along. Well, it's because we're not taking personal accountability in our relationships. We're too busy pointing the finger and waiting around for somebody else to change. And that's not going to happen. Yeah, it's true. And especially over time, like I think the way relationships were, you know, with like my mom and dad's generation and the one before was, um, you know, regardless of how happy you are, you continue, right? (laughs) It is what it is. Um, And my mom and dad actually recently got divorced, like, five years ago. Um, and I personally don't think they had the happiest relationships for a long time, but to your point is sometimes you don't want to address it. Cause then you think of it's all your insecurities. Like at the end of the day, it's not, it, it's not because, you know, whatever the reason it's typically because you don't want to face it and be like, well, what happens if I'm alone forever now, or I can't find someone else or, you know, financial or whatever else. And to your point, it should be, you know, focusing on yourself, but also ensuring that you have that healthy approach to things. And you're not just staying in things for the sake of it. Cause you don't want to address it. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, and, you, and you see that so often, especially parents with kids. Mm. So like, I'm doing what's best. We need to stay together. We need to keep it together for the kids until they get to X, Y, and Z. And then the kids end up as adult in therapy with me. And I'm like, what? And I, no, I knew they, I wish they had a divorce. I wish they had gotten healthy. I wish oh. they'd have modeled a healthy relationship or found somebody else to model it. So, you know, I think I, I, I honor parents for saying, Hey, I'm trying to do what's going to be best for the kids. However, sometimes it ends up hurting the kids more. Not yeah. every situation, every situation is totally different, but make sure that you're really, you know, doing what's going to be best for you because whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're in a new relationship, the kids are watching everything you do. Oh, anyway. for sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's so true. Like even, you know, growing up, it's like how you see your mom and dad, um, you know, act with one another. And that kind of leads to my next point on types of intimacy. Ah, I hate to leave it on that note where we're just getting into the juicy details of intimacy, but we are going to save this for part two, which will be coming next week. And we will continue this conversation with Christy. Thank you so much for listening.